Good morning. Our passage this morning is from James 9 through 12. James 1, 9 through 12. You can find it right after Hebrews, or you can look on the back of your discussion guide. Um, It begins with, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and rithers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. Thank you, Karen. Thanks also for reminding us that uh, we actually have uh, study guides, uh, study questions for, uh, for the day's message and scripture passage. And, and many of you know, if you're on our email list, you get those discussion questions uh, earlier in the weekend, and you're welcome to use those in your own life in your own study or devotional or meditation time. You're welcome to use them as a community group. If you're not on our email list and you would like to get those, uh, reach out to us and we'd be happy to put you on that list. We always print extra copies and they're next to the printed worship orders every Sunday morning in the back. Well, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable acceptable to God today. He is our rock and he is our redeemer. Amen. So James, um, in the middle of the second, uh, middle of the first century, probably in the in the forties, um, in in the first century, A.D. forty-five or so, writes this letter, uh, and he writes his letter in a style that echoed Old Testament and ancient Hebrew wisdom literature, a lot of aphoristic um, uh, wisdom-like sayings. And, and what he was writing about to Christians everywhere was authentic faith. He was writing about true religion, not appearances, but religion of the heart before a holy, just, loving, merciful God. And as we've seen over the last two weeks in James chapter 1, he's been talking about our trials, our adversity, and he has said two things. First, he said, joy is attainable in your trials. And then he said that wisdom is essential for your trials. But something else is also needed in our trials, and it's in the title of today's message, perspective. We need perspective for our trials. When Deep Run Church was just starting out, you know, uh, near the very beginning, uh, an older pastor in our region uh, was coaching me uh, through the process, through its ins and outs. And, and something he said to me more than once, at least once, and I, I have never forgotten uh, how he impressed this upon me, all of the technical advice he gave me and all of the philosophical and method type advice he gave me, this is what I remember the most. He said, Brian, you must remember your Christian identity in this process. You must remember who you are in Jesus Christ. He said... You're going to need to remember your identity as 
things go up and down, the ups and downs, not only of ministry, I kind of was already used to that, uh, but of starting something new and helping it grow and helping it stay healthy in various phases of growth. He said there are going to be ups and downs, and look, at times people are going to come to this new church, and at times people are going to experience life in Christ and convert to Christianity, and you're going to see them get saved, and, and at times you're going to see ministries grow and the congregation grow, and you're going to be encouraged. And you're going to feel great in those seasons. He goes, and then other times, and maybe just as much, people are going to complain. And sometimes people are going to directly criticize you. And sometimes ministries are going to fall apart, and they're not going to work. And sometimes people are going to leave. And in those moments, you're going to feel like a failure. And he was exactly right on both counts, feeling great feeling like a failure. And if you've been around long enough, you've probably at times felt that way in your ministry role, especially if you're in some type of a leadership role here. There are ups and downs, and in the ups and downs, uh, this mentor, this coach said to me, your identity in Jesus Christ must remain a constant. The Christian, in order to handle adversity, and you're going to have adversity, the Christian needs perspective to work through adversity. And this is a perspective that can only come from the grace of God. And what I mean by that is this is not a natural perspective. This is not a perspective we have by human instinct. It's not a perspective that we inherit culturally or through our families. It is a pers- it's not even a perspective that we gain from experiences in life. It is a perspective that comes by grace. It is a perspective that God gives you, it is a perspective that is perceived by faith alone. Know this in your trials. God's perspective is the best perspective. Not your own, not the perspective of the people around you, but his perspective. We're going to talk about three perspectives today. We're going to talk about the perspective of the rich and the perspective of the poor because that's how James frames this discussion in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 1. We're also going to talk about the perspective of the true Christian, the sincere, authentic believer. So that, and, and look, think of rich and poor in broader terms than um, economic and financial. It is that, but it's far more than that. The perspective of the rich, the perspective of the poor, and the perspective of the true Christian. The perspective of the rich. Okay, so the rich person's perspective is humbled by Christianity. When a person who is distinguished in life for one reason or the other, when they become a Christian, their perspective is humbled. I'm going to approach the passage backwards today, and we're going to start not with the poor, but with the rich. If you look at verse 10, the second part of verse 10... James writes that the rich should boast in his humiliation. Now, the word for humiliation meant lowliness in the original language. James, in a sense, if you read all of verse 10, this is what James was saying. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his lowliness. He uses the same word to describe both the poor and the rich, but in an opposite way. Now, if you think of rich, powerful, popular people, they don't often appear 
to be lowly, right? They, they don't often act lowly. They don't often seem to, to think that they are lowly. So what could James mean here? Because it looks like an oxymoron to say, let the rich person boast in his lowliness. It, it, are we supposed to take that literally? Did he mean that? Well, uh, yeah, in a way. And actually, he, he clarifies it as he continues. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, James writes. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. You know, the Middle Eastern mindset would have identified with a short-lived spring flower that suddenly withers by the scorching summer heat and sun. Or in, in your terms, uh, you know, think of your lush green lawn in the spring and how quickly and suddenly it turns a crunchy brown by the 4th of July. Yeah, he's saying that's, that's, that's the rich person. He actually says it in verse 11. He says, so also with the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The New International Version of the, of the English Bible puts it this way while he is going about his business. He'll fade in the middle of what he is building, in the middle of what he is accomplishing. He'll fade away. That is the wealthy person's lowliness. The powerful person's, the dominant person's lowliness is this, that time and entropy and death ends their power ends their beauty, puts an immediate stop to their success. He's saying that is the lowly position of the powerful and the beautiful and the wealthy and the popular, that death will bring an end to everything they've worked for. There is a futility in the human condition that levels the field for absolutely everybody, rich and poor, as it says in Psalm 49 about uh, wealthy people and those who are at the top in the game of life, when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. And that simply means, that expression means his success and popularity and power will not follow him into the afterlife, even though many ancient peoples thought that was possible. This perspective actually bows the heads of the rich because they cannot accomplish they cannot become all that they dreamed they could death puts a stop to that so so to boast in their strengths would really be to boast in things that are temporary so how is it possible how is it possible though that that the wealthy the powerful the strong the dominant in society could boast in their humiliation. How can somebody be proud of the very things that humble them and make them like everybody else? How is that possible? Well, actually, in the Bible, we learn that it is extremely rare. Jesus even said it is so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's not impossible. The Bible says it's rare, but it's not impossible. Listen, the rich in enduring trials, because everybody goes through trials if they're willing to admit that, the rich by enduring trials in faith can identify 
with Jesus Christ, who was rich, you see, but became poor in his incarnation, becoming a human being, and especially in his crucifixion, being hung on a Roman cross. And the way the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2 is, though Jesus Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Paul said he was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is to say the most humiliating kind of death and punishment possible. Through suffering and through service, a privileged person can identify with a God who became weak, with a God who became a servant. And if you look at the Bible, Abraham, David, Esther, Zacchaeus, Lydia, these were rich people in their day by human standards who learned to live by faith. And in living by faith, they learned a different perspective so that they could say, they could agree with the prophet Jeremiah through whom God said, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Now, if you don't feel rich in, uh, in comparison with other people in the world, if you don't feel dominant or secure or like you are on top or you're in a position of power or strength or influence compared to the people around you, James did not overlook you in this discussion. The poor person's perspective is actually elevated by Christianity. The rich person's perspective is humbled, and the poor person's perspective is elevated by the same system of doctrine and teaching. The poor person's perspective goes up. Again, going backwards, let's go back to verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Okay, so how can people who are down and out and know they're down and out believe that they are blessed? Assuming that they're not delusional and that they see clearly. How can they believe that they are blessed? Well, James is now returning to the original theme of this section back in verse 2. And do you remember when he said, you can count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds because God in those trials is helping you mature into a fully rounded person the whole package, right? Well, now in verse 12, he returns to that theme. And he says, blessed are the people who remain steadfast under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. The crown of life. We talked about what it means to remain steadfast. You may remember this definition from an ancient uh, biblical Greek lexicon which says the word here for steadfast means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. And Jesus actually used this very word for steadfastness when he was talking about how his followers would not only experience adversity, but they would even be criticized for following him. He said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, 
but the one who endures, and there's the word, the one who remains steadfast to the end, to the end will be saved. You see, this perspective, while it bows the heads of the rich, this perspective raises the heads of the poor who can by faith identify with a God who rose again to life. And so Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 2, as he's talking about this perspective of how Christ on the cross, not only Christ in his incarnation, but in his crucifixion, was humbled as God. As a man, he was exalted. Therefore, because Christ suffered so much, it says, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, and that everyone in all the universe will one day worship Jesus because he humbled himself. So the poor person, uh, they lift their heads up because in faith they identify with a humble God who was crucified for them and then rose with the crown of eternal life. And we all need this perspective, all of us, regardless of where we're coming from in life and what we've earned and what kind of status we do or don't have. God will reward in eternity the perseverance of your faith. He will reward the endurance of your faith. He is rooting for you. He is cheering for you. And C.S. Lewis, and I'm not quoting this, it's a paraphrase, said, when you see him face to face, and he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. It will not only make sense of, but will almost justify all the suffering you have endured in order to be in his presence and receive his eternal inheritance. We all need this perspective. As the Greek uh, scholar uh, uh, who wrote a, comment, a couple of commentaries on James, Douglas Moo said, both types of Christians must look at their lives from a heavenly, not an earthly perspective. Bows the heads of the rich, raises the heads of the poor. That is the perspective that Christianity gives all of us. I encourage you to take comfort and to find hope in knowing that God's perspective is the best perspective you can adopt for whatever you're suffering through. And I want you to ask yourself that question this week. What is your perspective right now? And are you boasting in that perspective? Do you identify with James's perspective on things? Or what is your perspective? And is that the perspective that you are boasting in? Are you rich in this world? And I'll just use the terms that are, uh, didn't we, we read, our call to worship was from Jeremiah chapter 9, so let's use those terms for what it means to be rich. Are you wise in the eyes of the world? Are you mighty in the eyes of the world? Are you wealthy in the eyes of the world? In a way, most Americans are. But as Americans, do you still, even amongst Americans, consider yourself rich? Well, those qualities that you are proud of will stay right here with the rest of us when you die. Others may enjoy your legacy. Your grandchildren may enjoy your legacy, and you will not. So we talk about great people, right? Like I like, used to say this in my last congregation. Beethoven was great. He is not great. He's dead. 
His music is great, and we're enjoying it. Without Christ, he's not enjoying his legacy. And I don't know what his eternal state was. But what I'm saying is all the things you boast in right now are going to stay right here with the rest of us when you die. So be rich. Be rich in heaven, as Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Be rich in heaven, which is to say boast in a God who will love you without all of that stuff. Not because any of that stuff. Boast in a God who will love you regardless of what you have earned and how pretty you are and how smart you are and how popular you are. Be rich in heaven, Jesus said. Okay. Are you poor in this world? Or are you poor in your surrounding and in your context? And again, as James had said, to make it hit home, are you lowly? Do you see yourself as lowly, as undistinguished compared to other people, as common? Do you feel like when other people look at you and think of you and look at what you've done, they don't see anything remarkable? It's just a face in the crowd. Nothing unique, nothing special. Do you see yourself that way? You know, we have to be careful here because um, in our society now, in the West, in the Western mindset, it is popular to think that the underdog is automatically righteous because they are the underdog. That to be the subdominant group in a situation or even to be those who are oppressed is somehow righteous in and of itself. Now here's the problem. Being oppressed, being in a subdominant group, and being the underdog in a situation does not absolve you from justice from a holy God. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Whether oppressor or oppressed, we all fall short of God's righteous standard. So be very careful to not take pride in being the one who has been kept down. Because that alone cannot save you. Only a God who is merciful, who sees the weak when nobody else does, can actually rescue you. By faith, you are rich in heaven. Boast in a God who waits to reward you. The true Christian's perspective is both humble and hopeful. The true Christian, like those who are bowed down and made low, is humble. And the true Christian, like those whose spirits are elevated by a God who died for them and rose from the dead and identifies with the poor, the true Christian is also hopeful. Humble and hopeful. God makes you humble about your own strengths. But he also makes you hopeful despite your own weaknesses. Verse 12, we didn't finish it. James clarifies. He says, this is what happens for those who remain steadfast in trials. They will receive the crown of life. And here's the key, which God has prepared for those who love him. You see, this is not a business transaction with your creator. It is a loving relationship. 
It's not like he's warding, awarding people who are somehow trying to get on his good side with a life of good behavior. He's rewarding the people he already loves. He's rewarding the people who are serving him because they love him, not because they're trying to manipulate him into getting what they want. Receive the crown of life which God has promised to those of you who love him. So if you love God more than you boast in your earthly strengths, eternal life is yours. The crown of life is yours. If you love God more than you obsess about your weaknesses and disadvantages, although they're important, but you love God more than than you obsess over that, eternal life is your reward. This is why we keep talking about Jesus as a church. This is why we keep praying about Jesus and singing about Jesus. This is why I said earlier today in the the, the prayer of invocation that we're so proud of Jesus. Though he was rich as God, he became humble. Though he was weak as a human being, his hope was in his heavenly Father. And so Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on. Remember how I said earlier today that this perspective cannot be, you can't generate this perspective on your own. This perspective has to come as a gift, as God's grace to you. The perspective comes from him. And so Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. And here's the perspective that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And if you know that he is waiting for you, you can endure anything in this life. Bruised, yes. Not beaten down. Discouraged, yet. Not hopeless. Dinged up, battered, scratched? Yes. If you don't have a nick on you, I am very concerned for you. (laughs) Nicked up, bruised? Yes. But you will receive the crown of life for those who love God, the crown of life that he has prepared for you. Know that in your own trials, his perspective is better than yours. It's better than mine. It's better than any of ours. It's better than the Republicans and the Democrats. It's better than, uh, I don't know, your favorite person. God's perspective is the best perspective. Everything looks better from the vantage point of grace. You know, as, as this church has struggled, you can imagine what it was like for some of us mentally through the pandemic, watching the church do the pandemic thing. I can remember once uh, a great couple leaving without even saying goodbye. And I was like, was it anything we did? This was way back in the early of year, years. Most of you will not remember them. Um, I hope they're not listening right now. <laughs> I hope they're happy where they are. They just left without, you know, like the Colts in the 19 whatever they were. Sorry to bring it up, but today of all days. You know, they, they, like, there's a couple left in the middle of the night. It's like, what? Like, and after about a month, it's like, where are so-and-so? And I emailed, oh, we left. Uh, is everything okay? Yeah, like the, we really feel called to a certain type of ministry and we went to a church that's 
building that type of ministry right now. Um, and so we, we, I was like, that's awesome. Good, like, great. Like, go and use your gifts. We weren't ready. We were, like, not even two years old as a ministry. We, we couldn't offer that type of ministry. So I was like, that's wonderful. But do you know how I for personally felt? Like, who are you? You can't get anybody to stay here, right? And then it was in that moment, I was by myself in my office. It's probably the lowest I've ever felt, almost the lowest I've felt here in, in nine years. And it was like, I didn't hear the voice. I'm becoming a good Presbyterian, so I didn't hear a voice. <laughs> but, but it was as if God were saying to me, are you gonna let me lead this church or not? You know? And so in the ups of Deep Run Church and in the lows of Deep Run Church, it always looks better from the perspective of grace, right? And so some of you have lost children and spouses, and some of us have had life-threatening diseases, and some of us have lost our best friends, and, you know, fill in the blank, right? Your car was flat today, whatever. It always looks better from the perspective of grace. So his perspective is what we need, and you'll only have it by faith. So look to Jesus. True religion, sincere faith, and frankly, a healthy church is where the rich and the poor have one thing in common. They boast in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as we began this service, we're going to end it. We are so proud of Jesus Christ. We know ourselves well enough to know that even when we look good, we are rotten, and we have nothing to boast about save in Christ our God, who became poor so that we could become rich. Lord, help us to see Jesus high and lifted up, waiting for us in the heavenly places to say to us who endure through faith, well done, our, my good and faithful servant. Amen.